The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Monday edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Chase Parham, Neil McCready. I am here in Oxford, nail on the uh, the drive home right now, kind of like last week. We'll have some cell service. We'll get a podcast to you here uh, here today. Ole Miss baseball with a uh, a big day in the transfer portal on Sunday, picking up a couple different players who should help immediately for 2023 as they uh, have their title defense. Also, uh, some stories out there. Kevin Durant potentially going to be a Boston Celtic. You know, obviously familiar with Durant from uh, the years all over the place in the NBA. And then also uh, the Athletic with an interesting story on tiers of NFL quarterbacks. We talk about all the time that some of those mid-tiers are actually the worst places to be because you convince yourself that you have a Super Bowl winning quarterback when you don't. And it holds your uh, your franchise hostage in the meantime. So we'll talk about those things and more today on the podcast. The podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford, you know, about letting uh, them take care of dinner tonight. Ribs, wet or dry, they'll wrap them up. I'm ready to go for you with the Oxford Exxon. The Exxon mobile app gives you a 1,000 bonus points just by opening the app, signing up. That equals 10 bucks that go directly to you immediately at the tank you're even filling up at the time when you open up the uh, the app. So, again, that's the Exxon mobile app. And, again, to me from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. Corey wants to be your truck guy, wants to be your car guy. He will take care of you. Give him a call. No matter where you are in the car buying process, and he'll assist you and help you out. You'll be smarter and ready to go on down the line once uh, once you do that with Corey. So, again, 662-257-1900. Neil technically on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters in Oxford. Rafters on the water. Several different options for, uh, for Rafters. You know, you get great po' boys. You get good cocktail and beer selections as well. And the uh, Rafters on the water is in Sardis. A great location is it is still quite warm outside. Great to take a boat, head on over, just enjoy the water there with rafters on the water or on the square in Oxford. Neil, how are you? I'm good, Chase. How are you? I'm lovely. I'm good. Back at it. Was uh, kind of you know we we had media day last week, but I'll tell you this is the week where I feel more like everything's sort of getting closer. You can look at it and see where 
10 days, 12 days away from camp, whatever it ends up being, kind of getting started. Um, that August 4th, August 5th area, you've got uh, you got school starting here and uh, in, in a week from today. I guess technically Carly Ann's a week from tomorrow because they do a boys one day, girls the next. But it, it, it this is the first day where I woke up and kind of went, you know, I, I know August is going to be hot. September's hot. There's still summer left. But in a way, this is the week where it kind of feels like summer's over. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I know there's a football recruiting event on Friday evening. I don't know who all's expected yet, but we'll have that a little later in the week. And then, uh, like you said, sometime, sometime next week, I anticipate we'll have some sort of a media day and camp will get started. My guess is fairly late next week would be my, my guess at it. You have, you have 30 days. You can start you can start 30 days before your first game. So you can do the math on that. That would be next Thursday, I think. And you have see the 26 or 28 practices that you are allowed to have before you have your first game. So you can pretty much do the backtrack on the math and figure that out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's about here. I mean, one more week of, of summer and then everybody gets back in their routines and school starts and, all of that stuff. So it's here. And we know they go in the morning, but we have not been updated to any type of availability or access for camp to this point, right? I, if, if we have, I haven't seen it. Um, right. I, I, I would, and I would probably, I looked at my mail, I guess, yesterday, and I had not seen that. So I, it's, it's typically, I mean, if you made me guess, I'd guess like August 4th, August 5th, and we'll do some sort of a, a media day, if we even – did we do a media day last year? I can't remember. I think we did actually do a regular media day where they kind of put them somewhere and let you walk around and do that whole deal. Yeah, I think last year – you know, we did it the year before because of COVID and all that stuff, but I think last year was pretty normal in that regard. See, I couldn't remember whether last year they did one or not or whether the little Omicron thing put a halt to that. It seems like we were still doing a lot of Zoom last year. Yeah, and now they'll put us in a different location if we're normal because their Manning Center obviously is under construction still until next summer. Oh, that's right. Where are we doing media stuff? We'll be in the in the old athletic building. I don't know if we're doing it there or if we're doing it in uh, at the at the stadium where we were doing those Kiffin press conferences oh. at the end of spring. I bet that's what we do. I bet we the, do the stadium thing. The visitor locker room for anybody that's a, that's well versed on that. Yeah, I bet that's exactly what we do. Yeah, that would be my guess, but no, I have not heard either way what, what's what's going on with uh with that. But yeah, the Manning Center completely not functional from those standpoints because they are uh, they st- they are on pace, they are full systems go. But we're talking about next summer when that is completed. That will be the middle of uh middle of twenty three. So anyway, yeah, football getting here before we know it. Camp uh, as as always, it'll it'll look similar to what it's like in the past, or you're gonna have a little more access just because of. Uh, the restrictions being lessened compared to the uh, the last couple of years. I mentioned uh, it is going to be yeah, it is going to be weird to not do it in the team room over the course of a football season. I'm so used to that. And I guess that's the case. I mean, I'm assuming that maybe that area wouldn't be done, and then you would still you know I, I don't know I don't know exactly what's torn out or not torn out. I mean, I guess it's possible that that is not under construction. But I would assume that if there's any chances of that being an area that's that's off limits, it will be off limits. But I, I don't know the answer, although I think you're right. Yeah, I would I would assume. 
We are creatures of habit. I mean, even even the you know from the old meeting room that was so small prior to the movement of that, you kind of got used to it. I mean, there is a certain certain habit Pavlovian thing to it in a way. So, whatever. Yeah, that that area underneath the the only problem with the area underneath the stadium is just the acoustics aren't great. It's dark too. But, yeah, but it's fine. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It it'll be okay. We did the full they spring were having, game press conference there. They were having some internet issues at one point with like the FTP and stuff, but I guess they, I'm sure they have that resolved by now. They do a really good job at that. Mm-hmm. I mentioned in the open, uh, Ole Miss baseball, big day for them yesterday, picking up uh, Ethan Groff. He's a corner outfielder that jumped into the portal from Tulane. He only played in uh, 41 games last year. He had a UCL thumb injury. He had a tear in the UCL where it connects to your thumb. He had to have surgery on that. He's fully healthy now. But he hit 404 for the Green Wave last year in those uh, in those 41 starts. Or, sorry, 39 starts, 41 games. He had four outfield assists. He's arguably the best corner outfielder in the portal. He commits to Ole Miss over Notre Dame. The uh, the Rebels were in it anyway, but they got a lot of a, a lot of good fortune out of Link Jarrett leaving the Fighting Irish to go to uh, Florida State as the uh, the Seminoles' new head coach. Groff, incredibly smart kid. He's already graduated with a finance degree from uh, from Tulane. There were some parts of Notre Dame's education that were very uh, very valuable to him. But once the coaching change happened, he uh, Ole Miss became the, the front runner, and he did commit to the Rebels after an official visit to Oxford over the weekend. Uh, former Ole Miss player Ryan Olenek was a teammate of Groff's in high school. He was uh, at least somewhat instrumental in, uh, in connecting him with the, uh, with the Rebels. So Ole Miss, you know, you lose Kevin Graham. Kim Balderman can play a lot of different positions. That was, an, that was an area of need for the portal for Ole Miss, and they, they pick up potentially the best, uh, the best option in the, uh, in the, in the recruiting of the portal for, uh, for that with Groff. And then they weren't done as well. Anthony Calarco, he was the first baseman at Northwestern last year out of the, uh, out of the big 10. He had 13 home runs. He hit over 300. So with Elko wrapping up, you also have another guy that could potentially take, uh, take over that spot as well. So big day, of the portal for Ole Miss trying to Fill some holes. You know, I got asked yesterday kind of where are they overall compared to what it could have been. And I think they're probably still a little behind because losing Nick Pogue to the to the free agent contract was a hell of a loss. I think they're probably an arm away. Um, I know everybody's still waiting on Jerron Watts-Brown at a Long Beach State. But from a position player standpoint, they've lo- reloaded really well. You could put together an offensive lineup that makes sense even without having to stick in a bunch of freshmen and just hope they transfer immediately and quickly and that transition works well. So big day for Ole Miss yesterday with Groff and uh, Calarco. I'll, I'll continue to effort to get Calarco on the phone today. I talked to Groff yesterday. That story is up at rebelgrove.com. As he, uh, he did give me a shout sometime yesterday afternoon. Again, really sharp kid as he, uh, he chooses the Rebels over, uh, over Notre Dame. But, yeah, big one there. I thought he was going to Notre Dame, frankly. I thought that the education was going to win out. But he, uh, he said that the situation where you just didn't know what Notre Dame was going to look like when you have a new staff like that, a, a coaching staff that he's not aware of, they're still in, in, in incredible transition. He, he made a joke. He said he'd never actually played in the postseason as a college baseball player, so he wanted to pick the location that was uh, that was the most consistent to guarantee that he would play some postseason baseball uh, before his college career was up. What's the pitcher doing? Is he just kind of accepting bids at this point? I mean, it feels like that's 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. Because if it was football, we'd go, yeah, that's what he's doing. And I think to some level he is. He is being, I guess we could say, incredibly methodical. Um, Jerron Watts-Brown, again, out of Long Beach State, he projects as a weekend starter no matter where he ends up. And he has a Final Four of Ole Miss, Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma State and Texas, all teams that would be willing to supply some NIL at his uh, his location of choice. I, I think I'm, I'm starting, and this isn't just from Ole Miss or anything else, I'm starting to sense a bit of frustration just kind of in the industry because he's taken all the visits. Everything seems to be done. You know where you're standing from the draft standpoint, and he's he's a high-profile enough player that everyone is waiting on him because you need to make sure you have the resources available should he pick your school. But at the same time, you kind of need to get on with it because that's a lot of money left over if he doesn't choose you, whether it be scholarship or NRL or whatever we're talking about, to, to sort of move forward. So I, I think he's he's holding four, four programs in, in, in a waiting period right now. And I, there was a lot of Texas buzz yesterday for some reason. I don't know if that was legitimate or not. I know Ole Miss felt pretty good after the visit, but he's – He's giving nothing away. I've talked to people somewhat associated with a couple of different programs, and he is not giving in to anything. He's not telling anybody he's coming. He is taking visits, shutting up and moving on, and just telling everybody he'll let them know. So you've got a – for baseball especially, you've got a pretty methodical approach here. And I, I, I sense that, though, he does have to do something in the next 48, 72 hours because otherwise, what are you waiting on? I mean, I, I don't even really understand well, the reasoning at this point. That was my next question the three of those four programs that don't get him, I assume they still have resources that they can use for other players in the portal. I mean, you, you probably get him to a place where you, even if the answer is no, you need to hear that answer. Well, and you're, there's some frustration. There's not a ton of guys left in the portal, at least not to the level of his talent. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're almost you're just going to be sitting on cash and then you got to decide, Hey, am I trying to do something with that for next year? Am I, trying to sweeten the deal on some current players who, who deserve it maybe that didn't take some other overtures from other schools. I mean, how do you, how do you sort of allocate those resources? Cause I mean, when you get to July 25th sitting here, you know, you've had to be in the portal since July 1st. Um, so it's not like new guys are going to come up or be, or be open at this point. I mean, you've got Paul Skeens at air force who Ole Miss isn't really on because he wants to catch on the days that he's not pitching, but otherwise you're, you're somewhat stuck where you waited on, the ability to have resources for Watts Brown. And he's kind of the last major piece um, that I'm aware of that at least would have this type of, of, of power in the market. So now I think there's two or three schools that are going to be sitting there going, well, now what's, what's next. And I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, frankly, if you've got all your current players pretty happy as they are, I think you just kind of throw it over the side and hold it when you need it. Don't you? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I guess you, Put it back in a pot for next year. I, I sweeten the deal. Who knows what NIL is going to look like? Or I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit calling it that. Who knows what pay for play will look like? What the market will look like? It, it's not NIL. It's, it's not NIL. It's, it's not NIL. It's pay yeah. for play. NIL it's does exist. It is not what we are currently referring to. Yeah, we we keep doing it, and and I I'm I'm going to keep correcting myself until I do it. I. I don't refer to it as fall camp anymore. I refer to it as preseason camp, even when other people call it fall camp. And I'm not going to call NIL something unless it's NIL. And I'm cool with it. Again, it's pay for play. It's all good. But I am curious to see what, you know, if the market in baseball does what the market in football has done, what got you a high profile pitcher this year won't be enough to get you a high profile pitcher next year. So, I think rather than, you know, going to big lots and just 
getting a bunch of stuff, you're better <laughs> off. You're better off saving your money for your, you know, your trip to the premium store next year. Well, because baseball still has roster limits. I mean, you still can only sign 35. You can only have a total of 35 kids. It's not like you're just going to dole it out and see what comes. Right. I mean, you know, I, I probably don't just distribute it among my roster to make people a little happier. I probably put it in a fund and save it up because I've I, if if the markets are any indication they're, they're the prices the price tags for guys to get guys to transfer to your place in, in, in a in a year is is going to be a lot more expensive than it is now i mean if the football transfer portal if the numbers that i hear from talking to people are true the the market on football transfer portals is tripled in a year i don't know if it'll do that in baseball or not but frankly with only, you know, there's there's fewer college baseball programs that are all in. We've talked about this before. It might make it where the market for a, a really prolific transfer player is even more. It might it might skyrocket in baseball. Because you get into a bit of a bidding war between just a couple of programs. For well, premium, just a handful yeah. of pro, yeah, a handful of programs that are that are all in, and at some point, you know, it's like. What's another $15,000? What's another $50,000? What's another $100,000? I mean, I, that's already kind of happened in football, I guess, as it'll happen in in, uh, in baseball as well. I talked to Brian about this at length for the podcast on Thursday or Friday, so I don't want to exhaust the same talking point over and over again. But just in a quick version, what was your take of this NCAA possibility of unlimited transfers but having the two definite windows that equal 60 days to football it would be 45 days right after um, the selection of the bowl games and the playoff teams, and then one from May 1st to May 15th once spring football was done to give them one more avenue. And then across the other sports, I think it's even more chaotic. I mean, as I told Brian, 60 days after Memorial Day for baseball, that means kids getting into the portal, not even choosing, but into the portal until the end of July. For a school, for a sport, at least until they have unlimited scholarships, that feels impossible from a roster standpoint. I felt like the little kid in elementary school that knew the answer to the question and he just could not get his hand up high enough. I told you this, it feels like a month, two months ago, that I heard this was coming. Unlimited transfer was coming. They they already feel like, and I think it was Andy Staples, you know, I've been a little bit off the grid. I've read some sure. stuff, but you know, Andy wrote about how this has sort of been the the model that everyone's sort of been operating on under any anyway. the presumption of if a kid who's already used his one time penalty transfer wants to transfer again, no one's going to stop him. No one's going to say no. And so I think what you're going to see at the end of this particular football season coming up is just widespread chaos. There's unlimited. The only number that matters is 85. The 25 number has been eliminated. I think you're going to see a lot of guys who transferred more. Opportunity isn't what was promised. Uh, whatever. I mean, I just think I think that's coming, and it's going to be absolute chaos. But we are in an era where so many things happened so quickly and now nobody knows how to put the 
the top on, on top of the tube and you just keep squeezing. And, and, and so everything's gone from the players not having many rights to the players having unlimited rights, which is, I don't know if it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. I don't know. It's not really my place to say it's the, the argument that is used among the people that advocate for this is that there's nothing stopping a regular student from transferring from Minnesota to Minnesota state to Minnesota A&M years. Nothing he or she from doing that. And therefore the same should apply to a student athlete just because he or she plays a sport he or she should not have his or her um, you know, rights restricted. And so that's what's coming. Is it a good thing? I don't know. Is it a chaotic thing? Sure. Schools are going to have to live up. They're gonna, they're gonna, there's going to be even more pressure on schools now to keep student athletes happy. And they're going to leave. Coaches are going to complain about it, and you're going to hear more, more people. This is, especially in the high-profile sport, this is going to push more coaches to the professional ranks. This is going to push more coaches to early retirement. There's, and yet the response from the public, and I've already seen it out there, is, yeah, you guys make millions. Get over it. I don't want to hear it. And so it's coming. I mean, you know, you watch, especially like, you know, I think about quarterback races, quarterback that's already used to transfer now he transfers someplace and it doesn't work out he just transfers again and i feel like i'm being old man yelling at cloud a little bit even though it's not really my my thought process i'm for the players having a pretty good bit of power i just wonder what the cutoff is where if you give them unlimited power the entire function of the process can't operate you know what I mean? Like at some yeah, point, yeah, there sure. has to be a point for the system to still work. And if it goes crazy more in that direction, literally the system cannot work anymore. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. The first thought that comes into my head is APR, but I, I, my guess is that they're just going to throw APR out completely. They're going to quit talking about it, quit looking at it. It's just not going to matter. You can't punish the schools for kids deciding in September that, hey, this isn't going to work. I'm, I'm going to transfer. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know what happens. I mean, but they're going to win the appeals. The, the, the rights are in – everything is in the players' hands right now. So it's just going to be chaos. I don't know how you build a roster anymore. I, I, I know how you build a team – but I don't know how you build a roster. I don't know how you program manage anymore. And and maybe the, the programs that do it right, where the players love where they are and there's development and they, uh, you know, there's academic development, there's athletic development, there's a good culture. Maybe in those programs you won't have any more turnover than you already do. But you, you can't help but wonder if, you know, now kids can – stair step you know a kid transfers from i don't know south alabama to mississippi state and he has a good year at mississippi state and then he transfers to georgia or, or alabama i mean there's i guess that's the next step and so if you're building a if you're trying to build a roster you're you're constantly looking you're constantly recruiting and there's no limit there's there's no 25 limit anymore so if you need to add 47 players at the end of the season you can 
I, I guess that's where it goes. I mean, look, the one thing that gets lost in all this is people can say, well, that's good for the player. It probably is. People can say it's bad for coaches. It probably is. Then they can turn around and go, yeah, but the coaches make a ton of money. And I guess that's true. I do question at some point, and I've heard you say this before, at some point, when does this become so sort of unattractive to the fan that the fan loses some of his or her interest? Maybe never. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't think it's like never. I think, it's real. I think that's very real. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on that in, side of that, on that, on that bell curve, but I, it's, where, it's what I believe. Even in professional sports, you know, yeah, there's free agency, but it's not unlimited. A player, yeah, you have some players. I can, I'm thinking about Major League Baseball or even in the NBA, you know, some journeyman players, NFL too, or, you know, maybe towards the end of their career, they're signing a series of one-year deals and maybe one year they're with the Dodgers and then the next year they're with the White Sox and then they wrap it up with a year in Minnesota or whatever. But, but players at the beginning of their careers, you know, in the NBA, a player typically stays, you know, a, a top player stays with the same franchise for six to nine years in baseball, six years of service time before you, you're granted free agency. Um, you know, there, there is time for a fan base to get to know a player, to get to know a, a core of players at the college level. If you have this, just people can transfer it, that you could conceivably play four seasons for four different teams. I, I just don't know how attractive that is to fans. And, and again, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, I can't help but wonder if for for fans who have grown up where you cheered for a a player, you cheered for a class, if if classes don't matter anymore, if, if there's no if there is no we always joke about depth charts, but I mean there would truly be no reason to even look at a depth chart anymore if if guys if you know that a guy that's a backup one year. He goes, okay, well, I'm going to compete for this job. And if I don't get it, I'm transferring. And if I do get it, I do well, I'm going to transfer to another program where there's, there's more money for him at that point. And let's face it. It would all be about pay for play. I, I don't know how that's appealing to your average college athletics fan. The answer here remains that some semblance, I don't know to what level, and we'll stop here because we're just, we, we go in circles every time we talk about this because nobody has the real answer. But I just don't see how the regulation is not some semblance of employee contract compensation something. I don't know what it looks like. That's well above my pay grade, but that's where we're eventually heading here because just like it was completely unfair to the players before, this is becoming untenable from just a production and getting through the process because you can't, you, you can't plan for anything. You can't put anything together. You have no ability to manage, as you said, your program or your roster or anything else. Because here's another thing. This has got kind of hidden. But the other paragraph in that press release or whatever it was, was that we've always – you've never been able to cut a scholarship for performance reasons. That's always been a rule. But there's another rule that says even if a kid just quits – you still have to honor his scholarship on your qualifier for his full number of years of eligibility remaining. I mean, Brian brought it up. Ryan Buchanan. He just kind of quit football. He would have still counted on Ole Miss's sheet for another two years, even though it was his decision to quit. I mean, that's that's a hell of an extra mark. 
or you're going to see so much medical injury manipulation to avoid that that it is going to become another laughing stock in the in the in the profession. Well, I think that's that's what's coming there. The part that I still and I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not an attorney. I'm I'm not an expert on labor law. I I don't know. I don't know athletes employees. How does that work? What are, are there are there health you have to provide health care benefits? How does how does that work? How does it all work? I don't know all heard that it would be incredibly problematic. And then who negotiates on behalf of the players? Who negotiates base salaries? Who negotiates termination policies? Who negotiates I mean, we keep talking about there's going to be salary caps. Okay, well, who negotiates caps? You know, in professional sports, they have work stoppages over this. I mean, the NBA, Major League Baseball just got off to a late start this season because they were having a difficult time uh, striking a, a labor deal. Well, in, in this case, you had the Major League Baseball Players Association, which has – you know, it, it has representation from from all the clubs. You have people that that do the negotiating on, on behalf of the of the players association with with the owners. And the owners are represented by by representation. How does all of that work at the college level? Who represents all of the players? Take a break in the podcast. Tell you about Johnston Hill Creamery. That's JohnstonHillCreamery.com. Make all their cheeses locally and in-house every single day. They've got a great lunch menu. It's available through Fetch Delivery and uh, much more. You can give them a call at 662-419-9201 or cheese at johnstonhillcreamery.com. A small batch, artisanal cheese, fermentation, charcuterie, and much more. Just off Molly Bar here in Oxford. And then uh, go to their Instagram page. Tim, tell you about Tasting Tuesdays, all the different information, and then including a video this week of uh, they're making their own homemade cannoli shells to make great cannolis. They've got those in multiple different ways. You can get those over the course of the year. So again, Johnson Hill Creamery, 662-419-9201. Podcast also brought to you by Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. All underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. So you can local underwriting and understand your market. Leader in condo financing, the float down option, and more. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704. Our J-L-O-W-E community, mtg.com. Podcast brought to you by Northeast Spark. That's N-E Spark. Spark service people across rural communities. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze. The one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's nespark.com, 662-238-3159. Phone service, portal controls, and much more. So again, call the office for more details, 662-238-3159. Prime Shrimp finished up their uh, their latest offer to you. They gave first-time customers a 50% discount. Several of you took, or many of you took advantage of that. We appreciate you doing that. And remember, even now, if you have not tried it, <laughs> sorry, your first order, 20 bucks off with code MPW for PrimeShrimp.com. They've got five different flavors available for you there. We've been telling you about it for a long time. That's less than 10 minutes. Freezer to plate for restaurant-quality shrimp. And then also, if you want something that... uh get in a better quality than a lot of the grocery stores. They've also got their own IQF prime shrimp as well. It's what they've been peeling for over 70 plus years. It's what you find at the grocery store. It's just peeled better and with more care straight from New Orleans. 
So whether it's that or the flavored pouches, you get that on their website, primeshrimp.com. And last but not least, GNM Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area. They offer MedSync to fill your prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you once you're at the pharmacy. When delivering, you have what you need when you need it with GNM or Tyson Drugs on the square in Holly Springs. And with their med packs and their pouches, they give you what you need morning, afternoon, evening. They're individually packaged and ready to go for you. Maybe it's helping parents out, anybody who needs their, medic- their medications better managed. Give GNM a call. They can switch over your medications, take it all easy for you. Again, that's 662-236-2222. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. No, look, there's a thousand different problems with what you're talking about, because you're right. I mean, we're not labor law attorneys. We have, we're not experts on that in any stretch, but coming up with even what that would look like across the different conferences is what is also an impossibility. And I get that we're just talking about two super conferences, probably with the Big Ten and the SEC and then whatever on down the line past that. But, I mean, the Big 12 is not going away. And whatever the SEC or the Big Ten would want all these different terms to be, the Big 12 might not can do that. They might not can be the same sort of thing. And then you're creating a, a thing where nobody necessarily wants where, okay, well, the SEC can pay this and the Big 12 can pay this. And I understand in some ways that's what professional baseball is, but not systemically to the level that that would be. I mean, it's it, it it's where if you really are 
it's the first time. I'm not telling people to be worried about the game. I'm not saying football's dying in five years. I'm not saying any of that. But this is growing into a bigger problem by the day where there is no answer that makes complete sense. Everything has one or two major, major issues with it. And I don't even know if there's the the ability to work together. I don't know if there's even the function to be able to work together on how that even happens to get to some sort of middle ground that preserves the sport in any capacity the way it looks like for the next 20 years. It's why I kind of sometimes get frustrated with the coaches who say, hey, well, this is professional sports. And you're like, well, no, it's not. And I get what you're saying, Coach X. And I'm not referring to Lane here because Lane does this a lot. And sometimes I, I kind of want to say, well, but it's not professional sports. Because in professional sports, you have revenue sharing. In professional sports, like in the NFL, all 32 teams have, a, you know, they're, they're all signed on with, their deal with, you know, ESPN or NBC or whoever, they're, they're corporate partners. In, in basketball, for example, in the NBA, you know, a team gets into the tax. And once you get into the tax for a certain amount of time, there's escalators on that tax. And so there's incentives while there's, you know, there's nothing stopping the Golden State Warriors from having a payroll that's four times what, the Memphis Grizzlies has, except the tax that the Warriors would pay in that scenario is so exorbitant that it puts a threshold on what they're really able to do. And you don't have that at the college level. I mean, you're going to have revenue sharing. Why why would an SEC team share revenue with the team from Conference USA? it's, It's why, Again, I'm being repetitive. It's just why when people say it's professional sports, like, no, it's not. It, 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 it's absolutely not professional sports. And that's got, we've got to stop saying that out loud. Well, this has become professional sports. It's nowhere close to professional sports because there are no contracts. There's no regulation. There's, there's no labor union. There's no arbitration. There's nothing. It, it's not sports. It is collegiate sports that for whatever reason decided to just open the floodgates to everything all at once. And it's almost as if people look at it now and go, Oh, I didn't see that coming. How could you not? I'm kind of like Andy Staples here. How how do you not see, how did you not see that this was going to lead to a world of, of, of problems? Yet instead, I guess Chase, you had those 10 years where the NCAA just put its head in the sand and, and, said none of this will happen and then once one thing happened it's like okay well let's just open the floodgates to everything and i don't know i i, I think i i think you got you lost me on some of this a little while ago because my signal went out but my question is in the amount of time that it takes to get these things sorted out to come up with some equitable form of, of regulation that everyone can agree to in the amount of time that it takes to do all that which i think is going to take years plural many years how much damage gets done to the sport and I, to these sports? I don't know the answer to that, but I, my guess is quite a bit. And, yeah, we, we, we are where we are right now. I mean, kind of closing it up. It is what it is. Uh, and you make, you make the point, though, that I do think we're pushing the conversation a little more in the, in, in the direction that we're talking about from the standpoint of 
yes, it's it, it's not the same as professional sports because frankly, professional sports is better run. They actually have a system. They have no system. This is just wild west in every direction. And frankly, there aren't rules right now. If we're just being completely frank, I mean, waivers are being approved at whatever level you want for the player standpoint. Schools are able to pay whatever, and nobody's necessarily chasing it. I know the NCAA is looking into Miami and some different stuff, but there's not a fear running through college football that A&M or whomever is about to get just hammered because of what they're doing, because they're fighting with state law on their side potentially or all these other different things. I mean, what we're in is a system of chaos. We're actually in the exact opposite of what pro sports looks like. It's the, it's, it's the, it's, it's the complete opposite of pro sports right now. Absolutely. I mean – you can win. I mean, it was, it, it was just six years ago, the Oklahoma City Thunder were in game seven of the Western Conference Finals. Just this year, the, the Memphis Grizzlies were an injury away from perhaps beating the Warriors in that series. And who knows how far they go? Maybe they go all the way to the finals. There, there, is, there is structure in professional sports. It's not perfect. It's obviously a much easier to be the Yankees than it is to be the, the, the uh, Devil Rays, obviously. Tampa, two years ago, was in the World Series. You you can't if you the way that college sports is now. If you're not one of the haves, and I mean the elite group of haves, you have no chance to truly compete at the top of your sport. Well, that's not anything like what professional sports is like. You don't have to be in the NFL. You don't have to be a big market team, if you will. To get to the Super Bowl. Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl last year. That's not a big market team. New Orleans won a Super Bowl. Tampa Bay's won a Super Bowl. Those aren't big market teams. You don't have to be the Giants or the Jets or the Rams or the Chargers to win a Super Bowl. Um, the same in, in all the other sports that are professional sports. That's why, I, again, I'm, I think I, someone like me, I guess without being a jerk, the next time a coach says we've become professional sports, needs to raise your hand and say, but, you, but you're not professional sports. You're, you're not. You don't have any of the machinations in place that regulate professional sports, including collective bargaining and, and labor unions. And those are employees and they have specific sort, sorts of contracts. It's completely the opposite of professional sports. And I guess, frankly, Chase, I'm kind of making fun of us right now. The people in our field, when these coaches say we've become pro sports, we probably should start pushing back and saying, well, except for the fact that you don't have this, 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 and this, sure. Yeah, you're all, you, you have pro sports simply from the standpoint of players are making money. That's it. Literally, that's it. Players that's, are getting some semblance of compensation. It. That's it. That's it. It, it. It's. Can you imagine the NFL if there was no salary cap? <laughs> if there were – can you imagine? Major no draft order. You just not, sign who you sign. Feel free. Go ahead. Maybe Major League, yeah, Major League Baseball. If there's, if there was just no, no draft, there's no, uh, there's, there's no tax thresholds, no competitive balance. Yeah, yeah, nothing. I mean, and look again, it's easier for the Yankees than it is for the Rays, but there is a path for the Tampa, Ra- Tampa Rays and the P- Pittsburgh Pirates. There is a path for those teams to be competitive. It was not that long ago. 2015 that Pittsburgh won 100 was 101 games or 100 games and played in the wild card. You know, they happened to be in a brutal division that year and they lost the wild card game, the Cubs, but they were committed. Way that 
the way that college sports is going now with no limits on anything. And, and again, I'm, I'm hesitant to put limits on things, but you do. I think you have to have some regulation somewhere. The way it's going right now, only a handful of teams can truly compete. And maybe that doesn't matter. This is the part of the college game that I freely admit. I'm not one of the people that I'm not, I'm not living and dying on the college team. And so maybe the people that love college sports, it's not really about winning. It's just about going to the Grove or the quad or whatever and spending time with your Italians. The game is just, you know, if you win, awesome. If you lose, okay. It's not really why you're there. And maybe that's the part of it. And that, that is obviously there's a lot, a lot of college fans who fall in that boat. And maybe there's enough of them where the rest of this really doesn't matter. I don't know. I'm telling you, though, while the, I, the, the part of that that I don't really agree with, though, that I think it does matter is that they still – that would be one thing if we weren't doing what we're doing recruiting, too. But, and, I, and again, we're really going in circles here. It's fine. But it's July 25th, and people either are with us or not at this point. Is we're saying, as I said, I've said this 10 days now. We're saying the quiet part out loud. We're not. We're talking about all the money these kids are getting. And it's in combination with going to the stadium for some of these teams and or these fan bases and not thinking they have a chance that day. That kills that kills the pageantry. That kills all those things from a fan base standpoint. You don't have to win every game if you're a team who has, you know, a ceiling. Look, they're probably not winning the national title, but they can win some games and they can get whatever whatever their level of success is for that season. You know, Kentucky and Alabama have different levels. Arkansas State has a different level, whatever. Point being, when all this stuff is out loud now and now they don't have a chance to, that changes everything. They at least want to be able to tell themselves they're in the same ballpark, in the same game, and when they show up in the Grove or the Quad or whatever, as you mentioned, on Saturday morning, hey, we got a fighting shot today to pull this bad boy out. That's it. Well, and if you take and, away and the, the guys that are, shot, then it's a whole different product. And the guys that are taking the field for your team are people who you you cheered for for a while, or you think that at least some of them came there because they loved the same school that you loved. Now you know that's not the case. Now you know they're there because, hey, the kid left Arkansas State to go to Kentucky because he got paid $150,000 or Whatever. I mean, that's that's where it is. And so, I, from a from a loyalty standpoint, loyalty is often a two way street. And when you take away one lane of the loyalty, you can't be surprised when the other lane disappears a little bit too. So, I don't know. I I am catching myself though, just and not to be argumentative, but just to kind of be real. I I, I'm, I'm, I, I refer to it more as pay for play than I do nil, and I think. The conversation has to start happening when the college sports college coaches say we, we're professional sports. You say, well, except for the fact that you don't have all of the machines in place that regulate professional sports, mm-hmm. and therefore you're not. You're what you are is it kind of just become an industry of renegades. So. I was going to go into quarterback stuff today. Again, the Athletic had a uh, had a story on tiers of NFL quarterbacks. I'm going to save that for tomorrow when we're in the same place. I think that's an easier thing to do at that point, trying to run through these lists on 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 how they have everybody rated from an NFL standpoint. So I'm going to put that on hold. I did notice yesterday that, and this went. I mean, maybe I was just 
kind of off the grid. Maybe I didn't notice it. But they had the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame inductions, or at least the announcements of the players yesterday, uh, including David Ortiz, Buck O'Neill among them, Jim Cott, uh, several different, I guess seven or eight different players had uh, have, have gotten in, Jose Oliva. Um, the more interesting thing to me just overall here, Ortiz, huge fan favorite in Boston, obviously the heart of that Red Sox uh, resurgence there, 04, 07, through that, through that time period. Um had some buzz around him with some of the steroid stuff that has hit everybody else, but he gets in as a first ballot guy, whereas on the same day, Bonds, Clemens, both have had now their final time on the ballot for ten years, and they will not uh, they will not at any point be be elected in in the traditional way. I mean. So now it's if if you even if everyone suspects that you cheated, as long as you didn't get caught, it's all good. But because Barry Bonds got caught and Roger Clemens got caught, they don't, baseball's really screwed up, Chase. If you ever think about a sport that has kind of lost its way, it's Major League Baseball. I mean, Juan Soto is 23 years old. He's about to get traded. It's not really that big of a buzz. It's nowhere close to as big of a story as Brooklyn and Boston had a conversation about Kevin Durant and Jalen Brown. And so baseball's got, I don't know how anybody could watch Barry Bonds' career and thought he's not, not only a better player than David Ortiz, but a significantly better player to, ex, to multiple exponents better than David Ortiz and Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame I mean at some point they should just have a little wing of hey we had a steroid era when a lot of players took performance enhancing drugs these were the great players from that era and be done with this conversation but it's not this is not debate typically is good for sport like tomorrow we'll talk about you know who should be the number one quarterback and who should be in this tier is Tom Brady. Those are debates that are good for sport. This, this debate that baseball has every year about this time is not good for the sport. In some ways it was the only thing that was good about it for yesterday is you do, you do move on from some of those guys, even though it's in a poor fashion, they literally aren't on the ballot next year. Yeah. Um, And so it, it goes, it goes away, but, Barry Bonds was the dominant player in his sport for more than a decade, long before the steroid thing. And yeah, because he was a 40-40 guy before the steroids, who was still one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, and so you, how do we know that all the pitchers that that we're talking about? I mean, are we positive they didn't take anything? I mean, are we absolutely sure? It was pretty prevalent. I mean, I know some major league players. You do too. And I've talked to some guys that played in that era, and they have really strong feelings about it. And I've asked a couple of them before, well, how do you know that the guys that you're defending didn't take it? How do you know? And they're like, well, I just know. And I'm like, no, you don't know. I mean, you're pretty sure. How do you know? And to a man, they'll go, well, you're right. I guess I don't. I don't know precisely what he did when he went home or what he did in the in the off season or I just know I never saw him do it. I never saw the 
physical signs. And look, there's no de- no debating at all that Barry Bonds took steroids and that those steroids enhanced the latter part of his career. But Bonds was a Hall of Fame caliber player long before that era. Would you have just voted for all those guys inside their era if you had a vote? I mean, I think so. I think that's what I would do. And it, it would be incredibly unpopular among people. But again, I mean, do I know that David Ortiz took performance enhancing drugs? I don't. Do I know that he didn't? I don't. I mean, I don't I don't know. Do I do I know that John Smoltz never took performance enhancing drugs? No, I don't. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't, but I don't know it. And he played in that era. You know, and so if, if, and if you're going to go all the way down that path, then you have to start looking at players that you're pretty sure didn't and say, okay, what would their numbers have looked like had the other players that we're talking about here? Because it, it goes beyond just, well, Bonds cheated and, and Sosa cheated and McGuire cheated and they hit all those home runs. Okay, well, then had, they, had those players not cheated, what would the numbers have looked like for other players? Suddenly is – is Mark Grace a Hall of Fame player? Well, the answer is yes. For Mark I mean, Grace, you know, for damn sure. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just using him as an example. There'd be a lot of other players that I'd have to go back and and pull up their numbers. I mean, like Terry Pendleton comes to mind. He was what, a pretty he dominant runs player. All for, the way down. I mean, we talked. You know, I mean, look, you and I individually and together have had that conversation with David Delucci. And look, David's not a Hall of Famer, but he takes steroids. He's an everyday player, and his career looks a hell hell of a lot different. He's taken up at bats and hits in that era all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, his numbers look different. I mean, if Mark Grace is a juicer, all those doubles. I mean, he, doubles he led Major League Baseball in doubles in the 90s. A lot of those would be home runs. I mean, I think he might have led in hits in the 90s. Yeah. How, how, many of those, how many of those doubles get out of the ballpark? He played in the National League Central. He played in a – pretty hitter-friendly division. How many of those doubles in the, that, you know, one hops the wall at, at Miller Park, how many of those get out? How many of those balls that, you know, landed on the warning track at Wrigley with the wind blowing in a little bit, how many of those get out if he's juicing? And if he goes from, you know, 20 home runs a year to 37, 38 home runs a year, are we talking about his career differently? Probably so. I actually like the wing idea and just go, you know what? Here are the dudes. Because the trickle down otherwise is just impossible. And just go, okay, these these guys are Hall of Famers. They're in the the PED wing. And when you, you know, when you bring young people in there and and little Johnny says, Daddy, what does this mean? So, well, this is what it means. He, He took drugs that made him a better made him a better player than he would have been otherwise. He cheated. But in an era of cheaters, he was one of the best. He was a great player. But he has this asterisk on him because he did this. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I'm, I've been to the Hall of Fame. I'm in the minority of people that was sort of underwhelmed by the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. It was fine. It was like, oh, look, another baseball and another baseball and another baseball. It was kind of cool, but after a while, it wasn't that big of a thing to me. Like, okay, okay, whatever. 
right? But like the uniform thing was cool at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and you know all that stuff. I mean, it, it was it was interesting to go read the the plaques and things, but I wasn't just blown away by it. So it, it doesn't mean that much of a thing to me. But in terms of your career, your greatness being recognized, you know, for perpetuity, it's obviously the highest award you can receive in the sport. And, Yet we have this we have this debate every year that is an unhealthy debate for the game. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned it earlier in the uh, earlier in the show. I'm reading this morning that uh, there is talk, at least a conversation between the Boston Celtics and a potential acquiring of Kevin Durant. The Celtics obviously fell four to two in the NBA Finals to the Warriors in the uh, the past season. Durant would. I mean, clearly be a, a, a positive for them. They've offered a, offered a package centered around 25-year-old all-star Jalen Brown, who's pairing with Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum, had seemed to uh, pay off this season. The original offer was Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick. The Nets refused, demanding remaining defensive player Marcus Smart be in the trade. They're saying no deal is imminent, but Boston's at least entry into the market is massive and figures to spark negotiations that seem to falter uh, prior to this. I guess my question is this a likelihood of something actually getting done, or is this more of significant of just Boston being this level of buyer in the NBA offseason? Probably gets done. Um, if you're Boston, as much as you love Marcus Smart and everything that he brings to your team, and he, those who are big NBA people, he's one of the best defenders in the entire league. And he's developed, developed his game into more than just being a defender. He's he can knock down the three. He can handle the ball. He, he's, he's a great team-oriented player who would be very difficult for Boston to go of from a standpoint. But I don't think you let Marcus start stopping from acquiring Kevin Durant. And if you put Kevin Durant, Jason Tim, Celtics become immediately the favorites in the East. And if you're Brooklyn... Yeah, you're asking for this. Players are scattered all over the globe, getting away from the game. But in a couple of months, when training starts back, you're gonna want you're gonna want this resolved. If you're Brooklyn, you don't want this thing hanging over you over the course of the season. And maybe Durant doesn't even show up. Maybe he maybe he puts his his feet in the dirt and says, this is as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going to play for you. Trade me. And at that point, you've lost some of your trade leverage. So I think if you're Brooklyn, there's a middle ground here somewhere. The, the first offer of a pick along with Brown and White is insufficient for Kevin Durant. What Brooklyn's been asking for has been exorbitant. They're not going to get it. So whether it's smart and another pick or smart and another piece, feels like probably gets done. And if you're Boston now, the message you've sent to Jalen Brown is that you don't really think he's part of a championship core. And so you, you probably are pretty incentivized to get this done. Yeah. I mean, it would, I would at least, I mean, being as casual if it, and that's probably even overstating it of an NBA person, Durant in Boston would at least pique my interest enough to watch more. Well, there's no doubt about Durant. That. It's good for Durant because if Durant goes to Boston and gets them over the top, 
that's a completely different thing than when he left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. Kevin Durant's mistake was not from a from a legacy standpoint was not leaving the Thunder. It was leaving the Thunder for the one team that you could not leave the Thunder for. Mm-hmm. You're leaving the Thunder for the team that beat you in Game Six and Game Seven in the 2016 Western Conference Finals. You're leaving the Thunder for a team that won 73 games that season without you. You're leaving the Thunder for a group that had already won a title. It was never going the to be one your team place ever. Ever. And it was, so it was never going to be your championship. So if he goes to Boston and he can get the Celtics back through Giannis and the Bucks, and then through whoever wins the West, and God, the NBA would be praying for a matchup of the Warriors and Celtics with Kevin Durant going against his former teammates with legacy on the line. I mean, you could sell that in a league that sells drama really, really well. They could sell that. It would be his championship. Yeah, it would be Jason Tatum's championship too, but it would be Kevin Durant's championship in a way that it never was for him in, uh, in Golden State. And it obviously isn't going to happen in Brooklyn. That, that deal was just mismanaged from the get-go, and it's been a disaster. And for whatever reason, Kevin Durant makes terrible decisions off the court. But attaching himself to Jason Tatum and to Brad Stevens and to that organization would actually be a really good decision on his part, which is enough, enough for me to talk my way into it not happening because Kevin Durant making good decisions off the floor is just not part of his legacy. He could have gone in 2016. He could have, there were so many decisions for him on the table. He could have re-upped with Oklahoma City, either long-term or short-term, gotten them over the hump, won a championship. He could have gone home to Washington. He could have gone to Boston. He could have gone to so many places because of the way that the labor deal worked out that year. There were so many teams that could actually afford to put a max salary into play for Kevin Durant, and instead he went to the one place, the one place in the whole league that cheapened his value. I mean, this is a guy who's one of the 10 best players to probably ever play the game, and he's never included in that conversation because of the decision that he and his people made in 2016 that will forever go down as just, what in the hell were you thinking? And then it almost immediately backfired on him from a reputation standpoint, and he couldn't believe it because he surrounds himself with people who don't have his best interest at home. What kind of player is he at this point? He's still a great player. I mean, but he's coming off of an Achilles. I mean, he's, look, he's still, because of his elite skill set, he's still one of the 10 best scorers ever. And you could argue that he's the best scorer in the league today, even in his mid-30s with an Achilles and and all the things that he's been through. You can still argue that nobody is a more guaranteed bucket than Kevin Durant. Wow. Okay. Well, he's a much better defensive defensive player than people give him credit for. His basketball IQ is off the charts. I mean, he's, he's a basketball genius. He just has people around him who make terrible decisions, and he listens to them. And then he attaches his wagon to people that it just makes no sense. He attached his wagon to Kyrie Irving, of all people. And it just 
he needs something like Boston and win a title there, cement his legacy as where people go, oh no no no, he you know what he he is awesome. He is one of the greats. He is better than Steph Curry, and he's absolutely better than Steph Curry. But unlike Steph Curry, he's made some stupid decisions. Whereas Curry has always been a, a very good publicist for himself, and people look at Steph Curry now and go. He's one of the all-time greats, and he is, but he's nowhere close to as great as Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Juan Soto earlier in the uh, in the show. Uh, Ken uh, Ken Rosenthal talking about potential offers for him as uh, the Nationals are listening to possibilities there for uh, for him. Four to five quote top young players, and it looks like the Padres might be the uh, the favorite right now for uh, for Soto. There have been some talks about some potentially things with the Angels, given the Trout and Otani situations, and the Angels far out of the playoff race at this point. They just bottomed out there at the end of the Joe Madden era and are not going to recover this year for sure. But uh, no one one versus one for Soto or Otani or anything like that. Said that it would require a lot different kind of uh, functioning because of the way that that contracts are surf- are structured and whatnot. And I don't think. Just from reading around a little bit, I don't think the Angels are going to move one of those guys. I think they're completely in buy mode, but I just don't think they're good enough to actually make it make any sense. But, I mean, your worst-case scenario, if you're if you're the Angels, is Otani just walks after next season when the contract runs out. Yeah, if you're, if you're, the, if you're the Angels this offseason, you've got to figure that out. You can't let him walk. You, if, if you're going to lose Shohei Otani, you've got to I don't know if you've read about Soto, but you read Soto's numbers and the people that he compares to historically. And he is Soto is compared to guys like Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, from a number standpoint, just pure numbers, not not personal opinions of people who watch the game, but just the numbers that he produces. He's probably worth at age 23, assuming that you can get him to sign a 10-year deal to stay with your franchise, he's probably worth whatever cost of players and prospects, whatever's charged, he's probably worth it. You're probably trading. Yeah. You're trading six young players, but the odds of one of those players being half the players, half the player that Soto is, is really small. He, he is a historically special player and those players don't hit the market very often. And when they do, I think you have to pay whatever it takes to get them. While also understanding that it's baseball and that one guy, as the Angels are very aware of on multiple levels, cannot win championships. Yeah. There is not another sport where it matters less for one player. Yeah. The Angels are in a weird spot. I mean, you've got Mike Trout there and it's not working. I mean, I think you would, if you're you're the Angels, you, you have to entertain the possibility of trading Trout, especially if a Soto deal establishes precedent for what those trades should look like. And then I said this a minute ago, I don't know whether the signal cost cost it where you couldn't hear it, but if you're the Angels, as painful as it would be, you've got to sit down with Otani's people. And if you don't get every warm and fuzzy that he's going to sign a long-term deal and stay with you, you've got to get value for him now. You've got to move him because you can't let a guy like that walk. And listen, if Shohei Otani hits the free agent market where it's not even a people cost, it's just a money cost, I mean, I've talked about this, like, about the Cubs. If I'm the Cubs, I hand him a, bank, a, a blank check. 
I'll pay you whatever. If I'm the Yankees, the Mets, those teams, I hand Shohei Otani whatever he wants from a financial standpoint because I'm going to get I'm going to get return on my dollar in those markets. It's worth it. It's just absolutely worth it to pay him $55 million a year, sure. $60 million a year, absolutely. It's worth it. For a player like that in a market like that, yeah, it's a no-brainer. What's like, did you see, I guess it was maybe Jeff Passan or maybe, it might have been not, maybe somebody else talking about the number of angels or reporters covering Otani that came to Atlanta when they played in Atlanta. They was on a flight with essentially 50 reporters or media members covering Major League Baseball to some capacity, and more than half were Japanese media members, not even covering the Angels, but simply covering Otani in Atlanta. That was it. Because his yeah, point was, what, what if he what, chooses not to talk that day? What do you do? Like, from a business standpoint, it's remarkable. Yeah. He, I just imagine Shohei Otani on a competitive team in a market that actually cares about baseball. What does that look like? He's already one of the five best players in the game. What if Shohei Otani, from a baseball standpoint, let's, let's make me happy for a minute. Let's put him in the Cubs. Put him in a Cub uniform, high-profile team, and let the Cubs become a playoff contender again. Let the Cubs get back to a World Series. Or if you're going to go, Neil, that's not realistic. Okay, make him a Met. Put the Mets in the World Series. Put the Yankees in the World Series with Shohei Otani. What kind of coverage does that oh. get in base, baseball crazy Japan? And what is that worth to your organization financially? Everything. What would that do? Would that, would that put baseball back on the map in America? It might. It might. I mean, he's – that guy – and Soto's kind of this way too. Soto kind of has this mercurial personality – if I'm the Angels, I'm watching this. And if I don't think I can get him and I see San Diego pay eight top prospects or something for, for Soto, this offseason, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm moving him. I'm rebuilding my organization, figuring it out. And then if I'm Major League Baseball, I'd, I'd, at some point, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they tamper, but at some point I've got to get the best, the best players in my sport in these big markets and give us a chance to – have the ammunition to take on the NBA and the NFL again, because the fact that the Soto trade, which is probably going to happen in the next week is on the back burner behind the start of NFL training camp and behind a trade conversation between Boston and Brooklyn that probably won't come to fruition for another two months. The fact that Soto is buried behind that tells me where, where I am from a PR standpoint, if I'm baseball. Yeah. No, we have a great case study showing out that the other side doesn't work, even in a market where just because they're not the top team and they're not really running through and they're not competitive. I mean, with the Angels, I mean, it's the it, it's the best example possible of, hey, if it's not in a couple of markets with really competitive teams, nobody notices or cares. And it's so and such the back burner that it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, did you see this? It was in The Guardian. And I think The Athletic put it in a little newsletter for the day. The chess robot that broke the seven year old boy's finger. Um and they said the argument from the from the robot, or sorry, from the robot's people, obviously not the robot, was that the child quote violated safety rules by turn, taking turn to take, taking turns too quickly. 
basically the seven-year-old who's one of the top like 30 players in Russia or something like that was playing a robot. Robots and computers are pretty popular chess mechanisms that are used. Uh, but the boy took a turn and as he was pulling his hand back, I don't know if the robot, they, nobody's really really sure if the robot was acting somehow frustrated because it was not going at the, 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 I guess the tempo that he was expecting or too fast, or he was simply trying to make a move and the boy got in the way, but he grabbed the boy's finger and broke it during the chess match. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, who knew chess could be a contact sport? I mean, it's the guardian. Wow. According to Russian media outlets, a chess playing robot, apparently unsettled by the quick responses of a seven year old boy unceremoniously grabbed and broke the finger during a match at the Moscow Open. Uh, Quote, the robot broke the child's finger, Sergei Lezarov, president of the Moscow Chess Federation, told the TASS news agency, um, adding that the machine had played more previous exhibitions without upset. Quote, this is, of course, bad. Yes, this is, of course, bad. Thanks. That is uh, a... Yeah. I I mean, if you're that that kid's parents, you're going to own the people that own that robot. You can have the robot if you want it, can't you? It's it's guaranteed. You can be your <laughs> robot if you'd like that robot right now. Yeah, um, no, I, I think I'd wa- I think I'd want a little compensation for that. Said the vi- there's video of it, and it shows the boy's finger being pinched by the robotic arm for several seconds before a woman followed by three men rush in, free him, and usher him away. Sergey Smogin, vice president of the Chess Federation, told Baza the robot appeared to pounce after it took one of the boy's pieces. Quote, or sorry, not even quote, rather than waiting for the machine to complete its move, the boy opted for a quick, I don't know, chess parlance, but some kind of other move. And then it said, quote, there are certain safety rules and the child apparently violated them when he made his move. He did not realize he first had to wait. This is an extremely rare case, uh, the first I can recall. And then somebody else said they had a different account saying the child had quote made a move and after that we need to give time for the robot to answer but the boy hurried and the robot grabbed him either way the robot suppliers were quote going to have to think again so for sure yeah i mean i'm I'm not i don't i'm not willing to blame the seven-year-old kid here (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got a glitch you got a glitch the robot has a problem yeah the robot has an issue yeah. So anyway, there's uh there's that. So whatever. Uh, all right. We're back in studio. I guess I'm not exactly aware, but I think we have pretty normal schedules here on out for a little while. Um, from a podcast yep. standpoint, we'll uh we'll be back with you again. Camp starting in well over oh, man, ten days, something like that. Uh, and we'll get exact dates for that when we can. Again, still stuff going on from a baseball recruiting standpoint. And uh, whatever else pops. So uh, stay safe headed on back. And for everybody else, appreciate the uh, the understanding. I'll get this to you edited in uh, the best way that I can. We'll be back with a normal day on tomorrow. Talk to you then. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.